When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the second episode of the Counterpunch Podcast, a weekly Cracked Rackets production. Alongside my co-host, Archit Suresh, I'm Richard Mai, and we're here to break down, analyze, and yes, sometimes argue about the biggest college and pro tennis headlines. Archit, how you doing? It's week two. We're back again. They didn't cancel us, so... Another week, another Counterpunch. I say it's a surprise that we've made it to week two, but... We have. I'm doing phenomenal. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and I'm very excited. I mean, we've just completed the Sunshine Double, so we've got a lot to talk about. So let's get right into it with yes, our champions. Yes, especially Esterl, right? Yeah. Or, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Our champions from Miami, Petra Kvitova and Daniel Medvedev. Let's start on the women's side with Kvitova. Uh, what, an imp- what an impressive run from her, and I think what a fitting final two to stand at the end. Very surprised. To have not seen Sabalenka, you know, for the third time uh, this year, Sabalenka Rabakina fi- uh, final, but it was a really great tournament for Kvitova. Really awesome, you know, two weeks for her or week and a half. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kvitova now at her age to still be doing what she's doing. I mean, first of all, that was an incredible performance by her to get the win against Rabakina in as tight of a first set as you'll see i mean 16 14 in that first set tiebreaker let's talk about it like you don't win that without that veteran's guile that people talk about but also i don't want to be i don't want to make generalizations about her game and or her age but her game has just held up so well it feels like in like this new age of power hitters on the wta side it feels like Kvitova was the prototype. She was, as the kids say, the blueprint for Rabakina's success. So, I mean, I, for one, wasn't shocked, but I have to say I was a little bit surprised to see her make the run that she did. I think it was really cool to see, like you said, kind of very comparable play styles between Kvitova and Rabakina. And if we're talking about age, I mean... You see players like uh, Kvitova and Azarenka still playing at such a high level, and you have players like Magda Lynette and Serana Kirsteo who made the semifinals upsetting Sabalenka, and you see them reaching highs in their career in their early 30s. And it's not to say that 30s are a good or a bad thing, but it's just a fact in and of itself that there are lots of really amazing players that have retired you know, from tennis by the age that these ladies are at. And so it's just very impressive to see how well that they're doing. Um, not surprising, though, because they've done such a great job to keep themselves in such prime form and good shape, and their games are evolving with the sport, which is really important. Uh, they're doing a great job to adapt to the evolving sport. The sport's always changing and growing and evolving, and it's super important that you're able to adapt and move forward with the game. And that's what these ladies have done. And they're doing a phenomenal job, really. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at the rankings right now. And Kvitova at the age of 33. 33, I believe, is the third oldest player in the top 50. Top 50. I mean... And 33 uh, isn't old at all. Like, no, absolutely. I mean... She's like she still has at least a couple of good years left. I mean, she's been the definition of consistency. And it's been Absolutely. consistent it's been consistently great. I mean, with Kavitova, I don't think a single thing has been I don't think there's been a single aspect of her game that's massively deteriorated from what, 2012, 2013? No, for sure. But I think what makes it really impressive for Kvitova especially is she came back from that attack. And that's 
you know, something really hard to come back from. It's a rarity that we've seen players, I mean, A, get attacked, um, and B, you know, come back in such strong form. I mean, we're talking about a, a Wimbledon champion here. And I think her tenacity and her drive has been really inspiring to watch over the last few years as she's been making her return to the sport. And she deserves all of the praise that she's getting right now. Yes, for sure. An unequivocal Hall of Famer. I believe she reached a career high of world number two. I was a little bit surprised to read that she never actually did get to number one because it felt like she maybe had a shot. But I think the thing about that is you're looking at the era that she was, you yeah. know, at least winning those slams. And there are so many prominent players that were, you know, up there. I mean, Wozniacki, I think, was at one in what, 09? Or I don't know who was in, in 2011. I know that when Kavita won her second Wimbledon title, if I'm not mistaken, it should have been Serena Williams at the top. And, I mean, Serena had built herself such a gap and had been, you know, yeah, I mean, I, such a dominant I, I, force. It, yeah, I feel like it's a pretty good guess to say that Serena was world number one. It's so, a pretty easy guess, you know, yeah. if you're looking at that 2014 era. Um, yeah. But you if know, you're looking just, at it, yeah. I mean, over the span of Cavito's career, 30 career single titles, two Wimbledon titles in 2011 and 2014, career high number two, I mean... Not a lot of players can say that they've accomplished what Petra Kvitova has over the span of her career. And she has been the hallmark of consistency. She's a pro's pro. 100%. Another person who's also been doing very well recently is Daniel Medvedev. Uh, five finals in five tournaments, uh, winning Miami. Um, I don't know what to say, but Archit, thoughts? <laughs> I mean, what dominance? Well, thoughts, I mean, Medvedev on hard courts is back. He's now a tier one guy once again. I mean, there were legitimate questions that needed to be raised. It fe- Honestly, maybe he just needed to get, excuse me, maybe he just needed to get the Australian Open out of his system. Maybe he just needed that year to just completely hit the reset button after the loss to Korda, who... By the way, Korda played fantastic, so I don't know if we need to read too much into that loss. I don't think Medvedev has played even played badly there. But I think what he's done since, it automatically just puts him back in that discussion of who do you think is guaranteed to at least final or win a major, at least on hard courts, in the next couple of years. I, and Medvedev right now is the best player in the world. I would say. Obviously, healthy Alcaraz and Joke and well, when Djokovic and Alcaraz are playing, I favored them over Medvedev. But on a hard court right now, because availability is the best ability, Medvedev has been the guy. Like, you need to remember, this is a former world number one, and he is really, really showing his credentials right now. Um, such dominance, like you said, we're seeing kind of the return of the hardcore Medvedev that we know that won a U.S. Open title, right? Um, he historically has done so well on, on hard courts. He, I mean, his game is just kind of hard to describe overall. Like, it's, he's in the most respectful way possible. He's lanky, but he moves so well, um, for someone of his size, um, I agree with you on the Carlos and Novak No, You saw it in Indian Wells with Carlos. Um, he knows how to counter Medvedev's game, his use of drop shots, and all this different stuff. I would put a healthy Carlos above him, but I think to completely you know, remove Medvedev from that conversation of him and Carlos and who's going to be dominant moving forward in future years would be a disrespect. He's so good, honestly, and I'm excited to see where he can take this momentum. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, go ahead. And I mean, really quickly, the list of players who have now done what he has done on the hard courts is very small. I mean, he's now reached the final of every major event and that every hard court major event, excuse me. And that includes Australian open U S open, the world tour finals, every masters 1000 on a hard court. And he's now reached the final at every single one of them. The list of players to do that since 2000, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Murray, Medvedev. That's it. End of list. I mean, that's the kind of 
tier that he's put himself on with this run now. And you feel like it's sustainable. I mean, the win in Doha, Dubai, final in Indian Wells, where he absolutely hated that surface. And I think that's really where that's really where it's, shade, it's changed for Medvedev is he's now completely comfortable being uncomfortable. Like he is now willing to put in the hard yards and say, look, even on my best, even on the days where I'm not playing my best, where I'm not feeling my best, and maybe these conditions don't suit me as well as say a faster hard court would, he still made the final. And he now has just continues to be incredibly it's almost machine like his consistency on the hard courts now he yeah i i mean i'm at a loss for words for how good medvedev has been on hard courts since the fall of 2019 i'd say i or the, i absolutely or the agree yeah i absolutely agree but the thing is that the tough thing now he's at this high point of momentum and now we're entering a big chunk <laughs> of the year where we're you know starting to stray away from his comfort zone, but we're going to start a few months ahead of where we are now, um, and we're going to go to Wimbledon, where some big news has broken out, where Wimbledon will expect to allow Russian and Belarusian players into the tournament, like Daniel Medvedev, um, and you look at how that restriction altered things last year, um, points that were lost, you know, it, the question was constantly asked, where would Elena Rabakina be in the rankings if she had gotten her points? Where would Nick Kyrgios be in the rankings if he had gotten his points for his final appearance? Uh, which is still a little bit strange, I think, for people to say that Nick Kyrgios is a Grand Slam singles finalist, but yes, it happened and he played phenomenally at last year's championships. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, I personally think this is a good decision. Yeah, I mean... I do think this is the correct decision. Obviously, you do have to tread carefully. And, you know, in no way does this mean that Wimbledon or, you know, the tour or these players are in support of Russia's war against Ukraine. Obviously, I I mean, there are some, some counters to that. But, yeah, I mean, I do think ultimately this is the right decision for the tours, for the players. It promotes fairness. Quite frankly, I don't know what banning them in the first place really did. Like, it didn't have an effect. And honestly, I I just, I do think it ultimately is the right decision and the fair one. Yeah, I mean, you took those players out of the tournament. You still had, you know, players still, you know, saying their messages about the war and things like that. I just think that this will be beneficial for players as a whole. Um, I mean, the amount of top players that this would take out, I mean, this takes out Vika Azarenka, Rublev, Medvedev, Kachanov, Arena Sabalenka, Sabalenka yeah. our world number two. Who um, was a Wimbledon semifinalist two years yeah. ago, and, you know, at, at this point seems like the best player in the world. So, I just think it's very weird. What was very weird about last year was Wimbledon being played, but it having no effect on the tour or points, and that was quite odd and um, and it's still affecting the tour today because now yeah. when we talk about when we talk about the rankings we always say if this player had gotten Wimbledon points if x player got the points from their Wimbledon quarterfinal run they would have made their exactly. top 10 debut by now Rabakina probably has a m- much easier draw to Rabakina get would be in the top probably in the top five I'm pretty sure I'm, she would be yeah. world number three some, I mean, definitely in the top five range. Gotta be uh, There's just so many questions that are asked. And I mean, like, obviously now there's also the question of, like, how do they, quote unquote, defend their points? Like, what points are they defending? What? Are they defending yeah. from two years ago? Are they are they a clean slate? We don't know. Um, but I think it'll just be very interesting to see how this kind of shapes out in the future. Yeah. Um, and knowing knowing the tours and knowing... The LTA and how tennis works. I wouldn't be surprised if it's just a system that seemingly benefits nobody. But for now, we can say that this was the best decision. And yeah, I'm glad to see these players back at Wimbledon. Yeah. But our next topic, we're going to move things over to, you know, something a bit more, 
a bit closer to today's date. Um, Yannick Center actually, you know, gave a nod to it in his, yeah. you know, finale speech, Medvedev's disdain for the clay. So we're going to head to Roland Garros, but this isn't about Medvedev anymore. Do we think Rafa will play at the French was a fan question this week. Um, and to extend that, I mean, Rafa, Carlos Alcaraz, and Felix Auger-Aliassime just pulled out of Monte Carlo. Um, how much of an effect, let me ask you, Archet, um, does that have on the Monte Carlo draw? And then how much confidence do we have in those guys playing in the French? Well, to start with the draw, I'm not, I'm not certain that, well, I mean, it's awful for the draw. I mean, once again, we're not going to get Djokovic and Alcaraz in the same draw. Once again, we're not going to get Djokovic and Nadal in the same draw. And I mean, Felix really made strides on clay last year. So I think, I think that could have been interesting as well. And as a product, you want your best players to be playing on the tour as much as you can. So it's a real blow for Monte Carlo. I'm not entirely sure. Honestly, if you were going to miss one Masters 1000 on clay, Monte Carlo probably would be the one that you miss. Because I believe that is the one with the loosest restrictions on Masters 1000. Like I'm pretty sure that's one of the few that is actually optional in a way for players. And I, I think there's more leeway with skipping that one. And, you know, it just is earlier in the season... I mean, I'm sure if fully healthy, both all, I mean, all three of these guys would be playing. I'm pretty sure they would be. But in Nadal's case especially, I'm not too worried about Roland Garros yet. Or at least him appearing at Roland Garros. I am worried about his health. But And same with Alcaraz, same with Felix. I do think this is precautionary slash they just need more time to heal. I just, yeah. I mean, I'm not... I'm not worried, but there are some slight alarm bells for Nadal. And that's totally fair. I mean, like, you look at Nadal historically has, let's be honest, like, glass bones. Like, so many injuries throughout his career, and you always beg the question of how he's going to do health-wise. I agree. I don't have many doubts on him being at Roland Garros, you know, playing at the tournament. Do I have doubts on how his body will hold up? Yes. Um, I mean, this has a huge impact on the draw. You're missing three pretty, pretty big players. and But like you said, I mean, of all the Masters 1000s, I think the main reason why I would say this is, if anyone, probably your best one to miss if you have to, um, out of the clay court ones, just because um, it's the furthest out from the French Open. I mean, players always looking for their first slam title. That's what every player, you know, kind of dreams of. And... I mean, Madrid is much closer to the French than Monte Carlo, and yeah. And even though, even yeah. though the conditions at Madrid aren't don't really play the same as the French Open, it's still a clay court tournament that's a little closer to the slam. And ultimately, and that with is good what, stakes, so pressure yeah. as well. Yeah. And that is that is what the clay court swing ultimately is. It's a lead up to the French Open. That is the ultimate goal for a lot of these top ten players, at least. But, but yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's the purpose of every swing, essentially, is it's always going to be, you know, leading up to a slam, except for this first portion of the year where you're kind of just leading up to the Sunshine Double. But, you know, you're leading up to Australia, leading up to uh, Indian Wells, Miami, leading up to the French, leading up to Wimbledon, leading up to the U.S. Open. It's just a constant cycle leading up to some major tournaments that are very important to, I mean, any player's career, but especially, you know, the guys up at the top rankings, because a lot of times... They're defending points, and you know they're trying to stay them keep themselves up there. But well, there is yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I actually have a couple of questions for you. Go for and it. Number one, do we think Stefano Tsitsipas is going to win three straight Monte Carlo titles? <laughs> no. <laughs> you want my honest opinion? No. I um, mean, he's not healthy right he now. He can. I'm not. But, I'm not ruling him out. I'm not ruling him out. I'm not saying that he absolutely won't. But personally, I haven't seen enough from him to have a lot of confidence. My, well, I, w I wouldn't be picking him. Yes, but health-wise, my Monte Carlo favorite at the moment is Yannick Sinner. Yes, yes. That yes. is my f that is my favorite. That's my one to watch for Monte Carlo. 
Um, Daniel Medvedev, oh. we saw last year, and you know, two years ago, was starting to get more comfortable with the clay. I don't think that it's comfortable enough that he can, you know, win Monte Carlo. He's a phenomenal player, but I just don't know how comfortable he is just yet. But I think if you're looking at a player who's already comfortable on the clay, has great momentum right now and has been showing off some of his best tennis, it is Yannick Sinner. And that is where my confidence lies. Honestly, not even just restricted to Monte Carlo, but for the clay court swing as a whole, he's going to be one of my favorites. I think he makes a deep run at the French if healthy. Okay, so here's, here's the problem that I have is that at the very beginning of the year, I said that Yannick Sinner was going to make a semifinal at the French Open. And now that he... The problem with that prediction is he's he's done too well too early. <laughs> like, because now everybody's going to be on that bandwagon. And I'm not going to look unique as the tennis hipster that I am for predicting Sinner to, win, to get to a semifinal at the French Open. Which, honestly, I think, at least right now, at this, at this stage of his development, I think Clay might be his strongest surface. Because it gives him the time on the ground strokes and with his weaponry, he can hit through anybody from the baseline. But also, it's the surface where serve kind of matters the least. And I love Sinner's return game. No, I definitely agree. You make really good points. I think what we've seen from Sinner over the last few weeks, and especially I'm harking to that uh, semifinal match against Carlos Alcaraz, what I think we saw from Sinner that has been much improved is he was way at least in my opinion way more aggressive than we've seen before he was really stepping in striking the ball with more confidence um making pretty you know ballsy decisions you know um very good shot selection I think he's always been a very consistent player but I don't know if I mean, it's been a little bit since I've seen this level of confidence and aggression from him. And it was really good to see, and I think it really does make him a favorite heading into the clay court season. Especially because he does, like you said, so well on the clay. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I ba- well, back to the Sitsipas thing. His shoulder doesn't seem like it's in a very good spot right now so i wouldn't be picking him to do particularly well on the clay yet but also that monte carlo surface is perfect for him he loves it there it's his best tournament he's won it twice i think it's the only masters 1000 he's won um but for sitsipas i mean i feel like you kind of need to be able to hit a topspin backhand to do well on clay (laughs) that's a very good point yeah, it, it's a very fair point, but yeah, I think but, I mean he does very well, like you said, on the clay and especially on the clay of Monte Carlo. But yeah. I mean, you never know. I even at healthy, I don't know if I put him above Yannick Sinner right now. I don't know if I that's put fair. I don't a think I Sissy pass against Yannick right now. I don't I don't know about that. I don't think I do. To me, the list goes. Well, we'll take Nadal out of it because I need to see his health. Like, I need to see him play. If we're saying where we are right now. Okay, well, then I would go with Djokovic 1 just because I've seen it more yes. often. And, like, he's won the French Open twice. So, Djokovic. In a Nadal era. Yes. Djokovic 1, Alcaraz 2. I don't know if I should. I, At what? For, like, moving into the clay court season? Yes. Into the yes. clay court swing? I, yes. Yeah, I agree with that top two. I would put... Is Sinner three? Is I'm Sinner three? Be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb here, and I'm going to say Sinner three. I'm going to say Stefanos four. And if, we're, if we're saying everybody's healthy, obviously, let's, let's just, like you said, remove Rafa because I think he's the obvious number one, and obviously health concerns are there. Yeah. But when Rafa's say, healthy, he's unequivocally number one. Yes. But I think that's a given. Outside of that, I agree with you. Djokovic, one. Carlos, two. Sinner like at three, yeah. Sitsipas at four. I mean, that is, in my opinion, the four strongest on clay right now. It's a pretty tough surface. There's no, you know, tons of competition. I mean, that's more for the hard court when you look at, oh, it could be him, it could be him, it could be him. Yeah. Right? Well, I, yeah. I mean, I think definitely it's at a spot where the clay just, there aren't enough players who 
compared to a hard court, you would say have the ability to contend for the French Open. But I mean, I would say Djokovic one in, Djokovic and Alcaraz one and two seems like a relatively established duo. Like I don't think that's going to change. Sinner at three, although he really hasn't. He's gotten close a couple of times. I think he would have made the French Open semifinals last year. He was up on Rublev. And, you know, he got injured after that. But he had won a set 6-1, I believe. And t- and he was about to take a two sets to one lead. And then just things fell apart from there. But I think he would have gone on to beat Marin Cilic. And then, you know, th- things get a little interesting from there. So I, d- I-, I believe in Sinner's game. I kind of just need him to prove it but i don't have any problems with putting him at three yeah Sitsipas at four but the name i want to talk about is casper rude i have my hesitations i have my hesitations i would put him in my top 10 i don't put him higher than at least that top three i have my hesitations about you know well i think i I mean i know he made the i know he made a final but like come on a lot of players have made finals yeah well i i think well, I mean, Casper made two Grand Slam finals that last year, so. Well, yeah, but I'm talking but, about specifically Clay. Okay, well, yeah, but I mean, Clay has been this the place where he's had his most success, yeah. pretty consistently. I think with Rude, I would probably slot him in somewhere at probably at that five spot. I yeah, I agree at the five to, spot. If everyone is playing their best, I think those are the four players who are ahead of him. But also, I think he just brings a floor that's much more consistent than, say, a guy like Sitsipas. So, sure, yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, yeah. honestly, I think the thing is we mentioned this, you know, the fact that there's not many standouts. I think the reason why Clay is such an interesting portion of the season on both tours is because the surface just does not gel with either game. And let me expand briefly. When you look at the men's side, the men's side plays very quick. It's very quick tennis. Yeah, it's just and much more serve-reliant. The clay takes away so many of those factors. It's who can adapt well to that. When you look at the women's side, the reason why it's very different is because the women play longer rallies, more drawn-out points. It's more about outlasting your opponent. So when you have players like, when you look at, this, let's just look at who historically for the last few years have been the best on clay. It is the two names that stand out to me without a shadow of a doubt are Iga Sviantek and Barbora Krejcikova. And the reason why their games work is because they play aggressive, they cut uh, points short, and the clay works really well for them because they have time to set up and really rip it. They have, yeah. strong, especially Iga, strong topspin, great movement. Her game matches the clay very well. And it's also different than majority of the women's tour. Yeah. I mean, I would be interested to see how players like Sabalenka and Rybakina fare on the clay this year. Because they Especially do have the now. Rec- Especially yeah. now. Yeah. Because they do have the requisite power to kind of hit through the court. And Sabalenka has a pretty good clay court record in general. She does. Yeah. I, mean, I, think I she- mean, I believe she won a Masters last year, right? Yeah. Uh, on a clay court. I don't, or she was in the know. final, at least. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to two years ago in 2021 and didn't she end up beating ash barty in like a clay court final in stuttgart was it it, it was somewhere I think you're right yeah but somewhere are, around there but this year we do have the return of a pretty strong clay court player in her own right alina svitolina who this week plays her first uh tournament back uh from you know giving birth to her daughter with gail mofis um I think that this is a really good time for her to come back because she has the chance to play at the smaller tournament and kind of get back into her own. Clay is a service that she's very good on. Um, I'm excited to see how well she does. We have a pretty rich history in the last few years of mothers coming back to tour and doing very well in their own right. You look at Tatiana Maria, Kim Kleister's even a few years farther back from that, Vika Azarenka, Serena Williams. Um, I think she'll do very well. I mean, how do you think? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, with Svetlina, obviously incredibly pleased to see her back on the tour. I would just say, I mean, just the jury's out. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't be predicting her to win, you know, a French Open. But at the same time, like, 
it's a, a very distinct possibility that she has a good run of form on the clay if she's fit and healthy. But that is the question, isn't it? Is is she fit and healthy? I am pretty bullish on Svitolina's game in general, and I, I think she's a great person and a great player. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Svitolina will be okay long-term. It's just about how soon can she produce that level and i think it's just going to take some time yeah i agree but with that it's time to head into our fan questions we finally have some um so let's just start off we have a question ethan quinn has found his groove uh i'm gonna let you take this one i think you have a little bit more insight on this one so what do you think i mean ethan quinn has been playing really well recently finding his groove um coming back to you know a good form what do you think yeah absolutely i mean i believe the question so ethan quinn seems to have finally found his groove can you touch on that and we will um with ethan specifically after the fall that he had i think it was a bit of a shock to see him struggle a little bit this spring and really just (laughs) so i have i have funny anecdote there was well, it's not really funny, I, and I hope Ethan doesn't mind me sharing this, but I was sitting in the very front row of his match covering the event for CR against LSU's Ronnie Homan, I believe, was when it was, and it was it was right before National Indoors this year. And, it, and at that point, that was really like close to the worst that it was for Quinn. And he had just, he dumped, I think, two double faults in a doubles point and he earlier that day and then the serve just wasn't firing super well for him the forehand wasn't firing for him and he just let out a what is happening to me right now and honestly that was the question that everyone had is what is happening to ethan quinn and uh, to me the turning point seemed to be the the win against stefan dosnik from usc at indoors but even then he did kind of struggle a little bit but now he's i i the only loss he's had since indoors was against johannes monday who is now i think ranked second in the ita rankings quinn now back up to three after being at one last semester after the fall season but yeah I, i got the chance to ask him about this after his match after his win against liam draxel against kentucky but he kind of just said that it was just about just sticking to the process and just believing and kind of trusting in his coaches and his teammates and just recognizing that he just had to keep working and just keep going at it and it would come eventually. And Ethan's obviously a great guy, so it's good to see him regaining that confidence that he's found. Yeah. So the next question that we got is Elliot Spaziri, what is his career, uh, career high pro ranking? Um, do you want to start or do you want me to start? I, why don't you start with this one? This is a little more up your alley. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, me and I mean, the thing is, I've never met Elliot Spaziri, but we have a few de- like a degree of separation between us. Um, I've been following him for the last years. He's a phenomenal player. Really, and I think this harkens the question of college tennis players and how well they do on tour. You look at a few names that have come through the college process. Uh, There's, you know, in recent years, you look at John Isner, Kevin Anderson, Cam Norrie, but you also need to look at Stevie Johnson. Arguably, you know, Archer and I were, were we were talking about this briefly before we started. Arguably, the greatest tennis player in co- sorry in college tennis history. I don't um, think it's much of an argument, but yes. I don't think it is either, but people want to argue, so I'll say arguably. <laughs> but, I mean, a 70-something match win streak, multiple NCAA, both singles and team titles uh, with USC. I mean, his last three years of college were just marked by an era of such dominance. And you look at his phenomenal college career, and then in the pros, what did he reach? Top top 30, I want to say? Um, I, yeah, I believe somewhere in the top 30 was his career high. I And then you look at somebody who didn't have, let's say, had a, had a good college career, but not as illustrious as, let's say, a Kevin Anderson, who has reached Grand Slam uh, you know, finals, who has 
entered into the top 10 before, you know, college isn't always a great indicator of what you're going to do in the pros. Um, with Elliot, I personally, I'm willing to go out on a limb for Spaziri and say top 20. Depending on Ooh. his health, I want to depend this on his health and how he can handle mentally. Because I want to look at just, I think, a really good example right now. Fresh out, uh, two guys that I want to look at specifically, fresh out of college, who are doing very good things on tour. I want to look at Mackie McDonald from UCLA and, I mean, huge name recently, Ben Shelton from U Florida. Two guys that are doing really, really great things. We're, we're good college tennis players, but didn't have a 70-whatever match win streak. And I mean... You're seeing well, I these mean, guys. I, I mean, Ben won an NCAA's individual title well, and yes. the team title. But. Well, yes. But I mean, did you see two singles titles, three team titles, and a 70 something match win streak? I mean, I just think that these guys are good indicators of, you know, depending on how you handle the pressure of going on to the Pro Tour, you could reach some really high stuff. Like, I could see Ben Shelton entering the top 10 later, in, later on in his career. And I wouldn't be that surprised um, just because of how good he's been this year so far. Um, so with Spaziri, I'm willing to go out on a limb here and say, you know, potentially even top 20. Well, I don't know if I'm ready to go top 20, but and certainly the number one question is health is what does the health look like with Spaziri? Obviously, with his left wrist injuries, there were times when he couldn't hit through a backhand. And even now, he's not super uncomfortable. <laughs> There's a funny story where he told Alex Gruskin, um, he told him, like, listen, like, when things are going fast and it's going hard into my backhand, I have no problem just not thinking about it and just hitting through the ball and generating pace with it. It's when things are slow and he's got a sitter, that's when he sails it back fence. And so... I mean, what that's given Spaziri is a killer slice, first of all. Like, now, I, honestly, nobody has been able to really disrupt that rhythm for him. But, yeah, that is the main concern. Injuries. That's the main concern for this Texas team in general, the injuries. But, I mean, Spaziri now, he's 21. He's 6'1". Good size. Good speed. He's got great hand skills. He's a really solid weapons from the ground. I mean, I would lean minimum top 50, but I would I would probably say somewhere around Stevie Johnson's top 30, as I think where he go. I just think it's a lot to get to top 20 in the world. But honestly, there's so many guys who have played college tennis and done super well there and managed to translate that to the pros. I actually will have a piece coming out about that very soon on crackedracket.com. Be sure to check it out. Um, with Spaziri, yeah, I, that, that's, that's the main thing is the health and just is, is the level there. I'm not, I'm not too concerned about the level. I think he could make a pretty, pretty decent jump into the pros. Yeah. Like, is there anything really that needs to be said about Spaziri? Like I, I to me, he is his team is the favorite for the NCAAs. I know we got that question as well in a mailbag, who really is the best team in college tennis. Obviously, some people would have said it was TCU earlier, but now it does seem like it's a definitive Texas. It, well, it does seem like definitely Texas is the best team in the college tennis rankings right now. And Spaziri is the best player in college tennis. And that translates like that winning feeling helps like it does help to go to the pros and be like hey i was the best at something like i was the guy at the level and that just does give you extra confidence on the court and it and that that goes across levels and i mean like like you said that was going to be the next question that we had was um everyone thought tcu was the best team in college tennis is that is it actually tennis say texas um I'm I'm gonna keep it short and sweet so we can keep it moving. It's Texas. Yeah. Okay. It's Texas. Next. I don't I don't think um, it's anybody else. <laughs> all right. Next. Um, so the next question back to the pros. 
Uh, someone asked, will Pagula or Coco win a single slam first? Um, obviously, both players playing pretty well. They just won uh, the doubles title in Miami. Um, I personally, I mean, I think it's Jesse. And I think it, I bring it back down to one main thing, and it's experience. Um, if they are both to win titles, I think Jesse will do it first. Um, her game is a little bit more complete and all-rounded. Coco, I mean, Coco's younger than me. I believe she's your age, Archette. I she's, mean, she's uh, two months older than me. Yeah, I mean, I just, and she's a year younger than me. I just think that there's a little bit more for her to grow. I mean, every player always have has things to improve on. Like, there's no such thing as the perfect player. Um, but I think that Coco's time will come. But if we're talking about who's going to do it first, I mean, me personally, just on an experience level, I would say Jesse Pagula. I mean, right now, to me, Coco's forehand just isn't at the level required to win a major title. Um, I just feel like there are so many, well, not so many, but I just feel like there are enough players who can exploit that weakness Really, I think her best chance is on the clay where she made the French Open final last year and, you know, she's got a chance. But that matchup with Iga just unless Coco finds a way to fix that forehand. And I think she ultimately will, but it's not a given. It, it really isn't. And until that happens, I don't see her winning a slam. I certainly see her getting to the latter stages of plenty of slams for the next couple of years. But I just I don't see her winning a slam. I don't see her beating a top five player a la Sviantek, Rabakina, Sabalenka, Krajikova at a slam yet. If I'm being honest, With, I think she will win a slam. I just don't think that yeah. it, A, will happen, let's say, this year. But B, I just, I mean, I don't know if it'll happen before Jesse Pagula gets hers. So, so here's my so thing. There's questions is, if they'll even get it. Yeah, so here my thing is, are both of them going to get a slam? I'm doubtful about Jesse. Yeah. I think Coco will. And the so, doubt does not come, I mean, personally, just really quickly, it just the, the doubt with Pagula does not come from the fact of, you know, her as a player. I think she's a phenomenal player. But I think if you put her, at least right now, like as of right now, if you put her across the net from Sviantek, Rybakina, Sabalenka, I am, sorry, not picking Jesse. Yeah, exactly. And those are and, the players that she's pretty much guaranteed to at least face one of them yeah. by the and, end of, you know, the slam. Yeah. And yes, there was the breakthrough win against Iga earlier this year, but that, again, that was... It was at, the United Cup. Exactly. Like, that was at the United <laughs> Cup. Like, I'm not going to put too much stock into that. And It's a great win, don't get us wrong, but just, like, it doesn't have the stakes yeah. of and a slam. Had, and honestly, I was really... Looking back on it, her fourth round win against Barbora Krajikova at the Australian Open was a really good result. But then, I'm sorry, like she shouldn't have lost to Vika in the quarterfinals. Yeah. But like that's a loss for her that she would not have been happy with, and for her that's unacceptable. I understand that Vika was playing great, and you know, Azarenka on her day is a phenomenal player. But if Jesse wants to be competing for the, those biggest slam titles. She has to be winning those matches and putting herself in the position. I really do think she's going to give herself a lot of looks because she is so consistent and always gets to at least the quarters, but she needs to start making the semis and giving herself looks at the finals and giving herself looks against the toughest opponents. I, I don't know if she is going to win a major but I think if she does, it's going to be before Coco. Like, I'm more I'm more confident that Coco Goff will win a major more than I am confident that Jessica Pagula will. But I'm also more confident that Pagula will, if she wins one, will win one sooner than Coco Goff. Because these are the years. These are The next one to two years where maybe Iga isn't feeling herself. I mean, once we get to a clay, that's a different story. But, you know, maybe... Right now, there's there's plenty of players who have developed some consistency and are at an elite level. If she can get a favorable draw somewhere, she can win a major. I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility. 
I'm not sure if I'd be picking it, though. Here's my thing. Um, in 2021, she made the quarterfinals. Well, the thing is, for the last three years, she's made the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. Last year, yeah. she made the quarterfinals at three out of four majors. The only one that she fell before the quarters was Wimbledon. She's a four-time slam quarterfinalist. She has not a single slam singles final. Coco does. Hell, even yeah. Jen Brady does. But, you know, I just think... Hey, shout out shout out to Jen Brady, former college player. <laughs> exactly. But, um, but I, I really think... Um, at the moment, Jesse's playing better. But honestly, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I have to do it. I'm gonna have to go back on my word. I think long term. The thing is, I wanted. I like changing this question ever so slightly. I think long term, Coco will have more slams and more. Well, I. I think. I think that's a given, though, isn't it? I. I feel like that is the consensus pick. I wouldn't say it's a given. But I think that is the consensus pick. Is that Coco? I mean, does I think the main the reason potential. is because Jesse Pagula's twenty nine. Yeah, but I mean, and something Coco's clicked for her what, 19? two years ago. She's 19 now, yes. Yeah. I think she actually just turned 19, But I mean, wild also to think about because we've known about her for th- three to four years now. Yeah, but I mean, not to take away anything away from it. I mean, like, you look at, we had this discussion earlier. I mean, you have players in their 30s that are reaching highs, and for some of them, new highs that they haven't reached before, like in the case of Magdalenette, who's, I believe, 31, and Cursea, who's 32 reaching some of their best results now, but I think just long-term, I have just more confidence in Coco Goff, and I say, if you are to, if you're going to tell me that both of them, like if someone from the future came and told me both of them will win a slam, I will guess that Jesse does it first. But yeah, realistically, exactly. I do not think, I don't know if Jesse's going to even get one. I think Coco will. Yeah. And there's no shame in that for Pagula either. Yeah. There's no shame in not winning a slam. She's had a hell of there a There are some fantastic players that have never won slams. Yeah, Dinara exactly. Safina, Rodwanska, the list goes on. There's a lot of players who have not yeah. reached well, that high. Yeah. But. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think if you tell me that both of them have won one, then yes, I think Jesse has won one yes. first because I don't see Coco winning one in the next year or so. But Jesse Whereas, could. Depending yeah, on what happens, Pagula she could. could. Yes, yeah. Um, but with that, I think let's just head to our last question for this week, which we're going to end things off on a fun note. Um, I'm going to let you start because you really enjoyed this question. Who would have the fastest one? 40 time on tour? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I had have at it. that one. I mean, have shout, at out, it. shout out Jessica Pagula, whose parents do own the Buffalo Bills. That's right. They um, do. So so we'll say that's a scenario, right? The Buffalo Bills are hosting an open tryout for tennis players. ATP, <laughs> WTA, doesn't matter. And they said, listen, automatic roster spot on the 53-man roster, but whoever gets whoever has the fastest 40 time is on. And I think if we're looking at it on the ATP side, I think there's there's a couple of names that, uh, that come to mind for this and it's Alcaraz because his yep. quick twist. I mean, essentially this is asking who is the fastest player on tour. I yep. think his quick twitch athleticism and the, his ability to just burst out in speed is like, I think that's a legitimate. Yeah. Like I, he, he I think he's the best athlete on tour right now. A couple of other guys. I think Monfils at his peak for sure. Uh, Demonar definitely. And I was then, gonna say Alex. I was gonna say Alex. Yeah, Demonar yeah. might take it, and then I'll throw two more. But there's so many. But I'll throw two more names at you: um, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina and Tommy. Great Paul. pick. I want to throw Dominic Team in the ring. I want to throw a healthy Dominic. Okay, yeah, team healthy Dominic Team in, yes, the, yes, in there yeah. because he is lightning quick. Okay, well, I was going off of right now, because if we're throwing in caveats, <laughs> then give me a 19-year-old Rafa with the working foot. No, 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 I'm saying healthy. Okay. okay. Healthy. Like, if you give me Dami team right now, but without the injury, yes. Honestly? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think... I think. I mean, his, that, his injury that was isn't even in his legs. His, he's coming out from a wrist injury, but yeah. I just... I Yeah, I, I take Dami team. Seriously, like... He's yeah. lightning I think quick. That that speed was explosive in a way that in a way that very much Alcaraz has now. I think I'd be picking Alcaraz. I can't believe we didn't give Djokovic or Medvedev a shout in that. But honestly, I think their well, their 
their speed is just a. It, that's more tennis speed. Like the the names, yes. the other names that I suggested are like, those are guys who can who can sprint and just like off the court are lightning yes. fast. Yeah, a hundred percent. But on the women's side, where would you um, select uh, from? Honestly, I, I don't have other I, than I know Iga. I, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say Iga Shiontek. Yeah, I don't think anybody. She's an elite level athlete. Her movement on court is very good. She's very quick. Um, yeah. I it's think she's the best fact. mover on on tour. She is, she's, in my she's opinion, she's twitchy. Like she, like she can move out of corners really fast. Which I mean, yeah. I think it'll give. I think it'll give her a really good start. And honestly, I Ika's just too competitive to lose that. That's very fair. <laughs> like honestly, the only reason I suggested putting Novak in is because I know he'd be so upset if any of the other people beat him in a race. But also, like. <laughs> I think the other guys are fast enough. I don't see anybody being fast enough to beat Iga in that race. No, it's totally fair. But if you don't have anything else, I don't either. Uh, but we will remind you guys, uh, on Mondays, Arch and myself and the CR Instagram will be posting on our story. Um, hit us up with questions. And feel free to hit us up on our Twitters. Um at richardmy03, at richardmytv, whichever account you find, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's both me, um, Archit. At Suresh Archit on TV, uh, on TV, on Twitter, <laughs> sorry. At Suresh Archit, S-U-R-E-S-H, leave it in Westoff, at yeah. S-U-R-E-S-H-A-R-C-H-I-T on And Twitter. someone did ask us for a hashtag, so if you want to just hashtag CR Counterpunch, Go yeah, for it. We'll it'll check that make, too. It'll make it easier for us to. Yeah, we'll be checking that. It'll make it. Yeah. It'll make it easier for us to uh, get yeah. those questions for you guys. But yeah. be sure to check out all the other content we have for you here at Cracked Rackets. It is a lot. Um, check out one of Alex Grussin's 372 podcasts that he does a week. Um, check out all the stuff that we do on our website. I'd, I've got a couple of pieces coming out. Be sure to tune into our SEC Cross Court Cast, ACC Cross Court Cast on ESPN Plus, and got other back Big to back um, a bunch of solo matches happening this weekend. Yes. Um, I know that April eighth is Baylor versus Texas. Ninth, we have Harvard versus Brown. I'll be hanging out with you guys for both of those, and that um, will be on the CR YouTube channel as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So make sure to follow along with all the awesome stuff that we're doing here at CR. But with that said, that's all the time we have for you guys this week on The Counter Punch. Thank you guys for listening, and we look forward to coming back to you guys next week. See ya.